Hey, everyone. Now it's time to welcome Mr. Mike Nichols to the Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Mike is here to discuss leading Marines from the drill field and boot camp to the battlefields of the Middle East, and maybe the most difficult part, transitioning back to the civilian world after the military. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Please give the listeners an introduction of who you are, what you're doing. Give us a uh, glimpse into Mike's world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Michael Nichols. I had the honor of serving 22 years uh, of federal service. I did 12 years active duty in the Marine Corps, 10 years at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, I retired after, I retired federal service after 22 years back in 2019. And uh, now I work for as the director of military operations for F-45 training. And I help servicemen and women convert their military experience into the fitness industry before they get out of the military. Awesome. So I want to start with your time as a, uh, as a drill instructor and I'd like to talk about the leadership as a drill instructor. Can you kind of go through with us uh, what that encompasses and, you know, the process of taking in individuals when you receive them and making them work as a team, have discipline and accomplish the goal of, uh, basic boot camp. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think it's first and foremost you know, for any listener out there that's considering becoming a Marine Corps drill instructor, I think it's very important to know that, look, it's almost like it was a calling for me. Um, I remember being in the fleet stationed in 29 Palms, California, and I was just so excited to go and go train recruits. And so I applied for the drill field and got orders because I knew that that's something I wanted to do before I got out of the military. And when you go to uh, MCRD, San Diego, Paris Island, whichever one you go to, that's where we train recruits. Uh, you have to go through a pretty arduous uh, vetting and in, in, uh, training process. So we, it's kind of like you go back to boot camp all over again, but now you're an NCO or staff NCO and now you have to go back to the basics of learning what being a uh, a Marine under the, the discipline of being a drill instructor. And you go through this pretty arduous uh, training process that really vets out the wrong candidates to be drill instructors. And uh, if you can make it through that process, then you become a Marine Corps drill instructor. And I remember when when I was towards the end of my training to be a drill instructor, they send you across the street to bird dog with recruits bird dog. And basically the last week of being a drill instructor student, they, they put you in the trenches with drill instructors that have campaign covers. You don't have a campaign cover, but you're over there yelling and screaming. And I remember when I went over there and did that, we did it for three or four days can't remember how long. And I remember I was absolutely exhausted from yelling and screaming and being on my feet. It was almost exciting to come back to drill instructor school and to take a break away from the recruits because you knew that once it's kind of like that Pringle commercial. Once you pop, you can't stop. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And so like, I was excited to get back to drill instructor school, graduate, you know, you get vacation uh, in between, because most people that are in drill instructor school at, are at many different duty stations. So if you make it through drill instructor school, 
then you then you have your official orders then you can move your family or you know friends or your family your wife or kids to the san diego area so you normally take about 30 days uh leave <clears throat> so i said that to say this that being a marine corps drill instructor uh was probably the hardest thing i've ever done in my entire life from being a leader and trying to be on almost 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year it's it consumes you. It absolutely consumes you. And I remember looking back now, it was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through, but one of the most uh, accomplishing things I've ever experienced in my entire life. So I'll just kind of pause right there and that way you can jump in, Mike, and we can just guide the discussions for uh, for the DI stuff. Yeah, so... I mean, I guess first off, I want to ask how many drill instructors there are. I mean, I, that's probably, I would assume, a very um, small group when it comes to the overall uh, size of the Marines. If I remember, if I remember right, and look, I could be off, you know, sure. give or take. I think it's like 325 to 350, both mm -hmm. at MCRD San Diego and MCRD Paris Island. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a small group, and, you know, you have how many recruits get trained uh, every year, do you think? I think it's around 20,000 uh, recruits get transformed into the United States Marine. Of course, that number could could go up or down depending on sure. your mission. Uh, sure. But what, what I remember is about 20,000 uh, Marines a year. So, I mean, the, the ratio of uh, drill instructor to recruit is – fairly, uh, I don't want to say large, but I mean, you have a large group of people well, just for conversation's sake. We have a large group of people that you, that don't know each other that come from all walks of life. Now you have to break them down, get them ready to accomplish the mission of graduating recruit training. Uh, let's walk through that a little bit and uh, talk about kind of the indoctrination phases and, you know, how you get them from day one to graduation. Yeah. So, uh, um, it, it's important to know that it depends on what season you're in is when recruit how big your platoons are. For example, we know most people graduate uh, school in June. And so towards the end of June, July and August, that's normally our biggest platoons. Mm -hmm. And so when I say the biggest platoons, when I was there, and this could change by now, but um, it was... I think the max we've had in a squad bay at one time was 90, 91 or 92 recruits. And you have, we had one, two, we had four drill instructors to train 92, 91, 92 recruits to become Marines. And regardless of the size of the team, the season, like there's, there was times where I had 38 recruits and there was times I had 92 recruits. It just depends on when you pick up those recruits and what season, uh, uh, that you're in. And regardless if you pick up 38 or 92, um, you have to follow a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty regiment process of things that we have to teach them. So when we first get them, it's, so normally what happens is recruits will come in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to receiving. And then when they go to receiving, they will go to medical and dental and 
pick up clothing, like their military uniforms and all that. And so receiving will take the recruits through the basic stuff, basic introduction, making sure that they're initially vetted, so to speak. And then right before they come to us, they have to take an, a, an initial uh, uh, physical fitness test. If they pass that, then they get dropped to their platoon. That's where we pick them up on Fridays. Normally on Fridays in the afternoon, I think it's, you know, it could be around 12 or 1 o'clock, somewhere around there. The recruits would be brought from the receiving drill instructors to us. And then we would come out and we would give our introduction speech. And from that point forward, it is absolutely chaos. It is chaos for the next 48 to 72 hours. And what we realized as drill instructors, you know, I train eight platoons to become United States Marines. The quicker you can get these young men locked in, the quicker you can get to training and you can get them disciplined and you can get your platoon headed in the right direction. Um, and I'll just pause right there. Uh, yeah, so I was going to say, yeah, no, you're, no, that's, it's good. And I think all of that starts with uh, foundation. To me, foundation starts with um, who's going to be getting them to whatever their goal is. And in leadership, uh, the leader um, is typically going to be leading by example. In your, in your scenario, um, you're the leader. You're the drill instructor. And I pulled up the United States Marine Corps Drill Instructor Creed. And part one of the – I'm going to take a little clip out of it. And it says, I will demand of them and demonstrate by my own example the highest standards of personal conduct morality and professional skill. So I think leadership, regardless of where it is, uh, military, police, fire, civilian, all of that, leadership by example is, is the most important thing. How can you expect somebody to be at a standard if you're not doing it yourself? So like if you go out and you're, you know, you look sloppy, but you expect people to look sharp, it doesn't work that way, right? So I think in the military, um, there's a parallel with other things in life. And, and I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I think as a drill instructor, you're going to be coaching, motivating, and you're going to hold them accountable, right? I, I think it's a never-ending cycle of, uh, you know, you tell them what needs to get done, you show them what needs to get done, you coach them through it, you motivate them, and then you hold them accountable. If they don't meet standards, then you train and then you repeat it, right? I think it's, it's a cycle yeah. that... Yeah. You know, once you go through that, I think um, there's people that are gonna they're gonna step up, or they're they're not gonna they're not gonna you know they're not gonna make the cut. And it says in here as well that uh, I'm not gonna give up on you after some of you have given up on yourselves. And I think that's very impactful yep. and very powerful. I think that's the most powerful. I, again, as we talked about before we came on here, I've never been in the military. I, I'm not claiming to be in any way. However, as a civilian listening to this, doing research to start to have this podcast with you listening to that part of everything is very, very impactful. I mean, cause you think about it, these guys are probably absolutely terrified and towards the end, they're hearing somebody say, I'm not going to give up on you even after you've given up on, even after some of you have given up on yourselves. Um, yes. Yeah. So like, I, I would like to just kind of dive in there. So as, no, jump as, in. A, no, jump new, in. as a, as a new drill instructor, my job was to get these kids to the point of quitting as quickly as possible. Right. Because mm -hmm. at the, the faster I can get them mentally to quit, the quicker I can get them to realize that uh, we, we will not give up on you even after some of you have given up on yourself. So we would break down the new recruits 
And then some of them, you know, when I say breakdown, I'm talking about just trying to get them mentally and physically exhausted to the point where they want to quit. And then when they want to quit, the senior drill instructor or the J would step in and say, see, remember what we said in the beginning? We will not give up on you even after some of you have given up on yourself. So, and then the, and then the light bulb goes off for the recruits that, man, these, these guys really care about me. Even though that my job as a new drill instructor is to make you quit as quickly as possible, the senior and the J were kind of like, okay, yes, you, you're ready to quit, but remember we said that we're not going to give up on you. And it helps some of the recruits like snap in really quick and say, okay, these guys really care about me, even though that, even though that on there's a double side coin, right? On, on one side, it's pain, it's discipline, it's yelling, it's screaming. And on the other side, there's empathy and compassion and, and caring about the young men and women that really serve our country. So, yeah, I, uh, I remember looking back at, I, I, look, as a new drill instructor, my job was to, to make them quit as quickly as possible. And sure. you do that through pain, screaming, yelling, IT in them, incentive training. Um, yeah, that's a good flashback for me. Sure. Yeah. I, and, you know, I think there's something to be said about, you know, when you guys, when the Marine, excuse me, when the Marines give you the Eagle Globe and Anchor, at no point is it said, you know, if all the, like the research that I've done before, you know, that I said earlier, everyone earns their title. No one's given a title. No one is awarded. They are, it's earned. That word is specifically used. And what I think there's something to be said about, you know, standing at the foot of a mountain, looking at the top, which is graduation thinking there's no way in hell I'll ever get there. And then there's this guy that comes in, yells and screams at me. And next thing I know, he's smiling, handing it to me saying, you've earned this. You yeah. know what I mean? Put, put as much, put as much structure in place to eliminate as much failure as possible. So like, sure. that's, that's one of my favorite quotes. I actually created it when I was a drill instructor, put as much structure in place to eliminate as much failure as possible means that, if I let the recruits train themselves for, for 13 weeks, they will never get there. But you put the drill instructors in place, you put the, you put the marching in place, you put the, you know, the physical fitness piece, the education piece, uh, the mental piece, you put all these pieces together and you control it from a drill instructor standpoint. These young men and women that think that, that, that they can't make it they end up getting there because day after day, week after week, month after month, next thing you know, they're transformed into United States Marines. And that's a life altering um, experience too. You know, I think a lot of, from what I've looked at and, you know, guys that I know that are in the military um, and guys that I know that are, that are Marines, um, you know, one of the quotes that I heard was every Marine will tell you that they may not remember what they ate yesterday, but they will always remember their drill instructors. Drill instructors are highly trained professionals who are a foundation to the process of making Marines. Working countless hours, they ensure the recruits receive the best training possible to prepare them for the rigors that they will face as a Marine. It is the drill instructors who serve as the model Marines who teach recruits about ethics and the Marine Corps values of honor, courage, and commitment. And I think that that foundation and that structure can um, turn around and change your life. I mean, you could have somebody that could be going down a wrong path and, and go into the military 
um, and then decide specifically the Marines that they want to go into the Marines to change their life. And you might have had that experience with a young Marine that you mentored who was in legal trouble before joining. And because of your leadership, he became Marine of the Year. And, and I, I'd like to talk about that. I heard you talk about it at a keynote uh, event. So um, I want to transition into that. I think that's very, very impactful. I think that leadership and um, mentorship and coaching and motivating is very, very important in leadership. And most of all, and my biggest goal for this podcast today is how your leadership or how you as a leader can impact people's lives for the good and the bad. So we want it to be for the good and you can help change people's lives. So I, I want to talk about that young Marine. So if you could please uh, walk yeah. us through that. All right. So 9-11 happened on a Tuesday and we were scheduled to pick up our platoon that Friday, but due to what happened with 9-11, the flights were delayed for a couple of days. And so instead of picking up that platoon on Friday, we ended up picking that platoon up on Saturday. Um, and recruit Figueroa, this this young man <clears throat> was a recruit inside of that platoon. So this young man was caught up with drug dealing and gang banging and just really corrupt, you know, living a, he came from a very impoverished uh, lifestyle and uh, was very caught up in, in, in the weeds of life, so to speak. And he ended up getting an ultimatum from a judge that <clears throat> you either join the military or you're going to prison. And so, of course, what do you what do you decide? Oh, I'm going to I'm going to the <laughs> yeah. military. I'm sure. not going to go to prison. Forget that. I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to go to the Marines. Sure. And this little shitbird ended up in my platoon. And <clears throat> I remember, I just remember him with such a cocky attitude, like. We're young, you know, most, most recruits will conform really quick, but when you have somebody that comes from a lifestyle like that, it takes, it takes more than just yelling and screaming to earn, um, that young man or woman's respect. Right. So you have to lead, you have to really lead by example. Like, but I remember in the beginning, like, I want to freaking crush this kid. Like he would look at you. I would grab his, 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 you know, cover off his head freaking slam it on the ground and he'd look like he's ready to swing and fight and you know of course my job as a pretty new drill instructor was to provoke to provoke him to quit or to give up and you know I got I, I got I finally got the kid to the point of you know of so to speak and then the senior drill instructor got him back on the right track and it was a combination of me putting pressure on him that you're no longer in the streets and the senior coming in and saying hey, okay I know you want to quit and give up, but we're not going to let you quit and give up. So it's a combination of those two sides of the coin that we talked about earlier. Sure. Um, I did my job to make, to break him down. And then the senior did his job to make sure we build him back up. And this young man ended up sticking in, sticking with our tune uh, and eventually graduating to become a Marine. Now, when I graduated this Marine, I thought I'd never hear from him again, see him again, but come to find out um, that he really respected the the pressure I put on him to become a better young man. And 
years later, he reached back out and we stayed connected. And, and then come to find out he, uh, he became the Marine of the year for his, you know, for his unit or for his base. And I thought it was really, I look, I, I never, I never thought in a million years that someone like him would actually turn his life around and become amazing. And, you know, fast forward to this day, that kid, I trained back in, you know, 2001 when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the kid's got a master's degree, graduated from Harvard, has a couple of different degrees. Jeez. Uh, he's went on to, to really uh, be successful in life. But it goes back to the someone believing in you, even, even when you don't believe in yourself. Sure. And that's the beauty of leadership is we don't know the impact that we're going to have in other people's lives. Sometimes our impact pushes someone towards a negative. Sometimes our impact pushes them towards the positive. And of course we always want to share the positive stories. Um, but I think that we all have the potential of making a, a, tr- a tremendous impact in other people's lives. And that's why I love being a coach. I love being a mentor. I love being a motivator because you can inspire the next generation to be successful, to take the torch and carry it as long as you can. It could be four years in the military, it could be 40 years in the military. Carry that torch and then pass it on to the next generation. You know, and that's the the other thing about that too, is you never know what people have been through. Like you, you don't know what they've been through in their lives, what they're going through and all that. And all you have to do as a leader is come in do the right thing, support them, because you don't know what the lasting effects you're going to have on people are. You know, I've had people, and I'm not saying a lot of people, but I've had people throughout my time as an, as an officer in the department that I work for um, come up to me and remind me of events and discussions that we've had and, and some mentorship stuff that I've said and done for them that I don't remember. And that's not because I don't like them or disrespect them. It's just that's a large gap of time. But the point is people remember everything absolutely everything. It's just, I have a, so I have a six-year-old son, right? And you know, I feel like I talk about this kid all the time on these podcasts, but you know, my son doesn't forget anything I say. He doesn't always remember to do some of the things I want him to do, but he never forgets what I say, <laughs> which is very ironic. You have kids too, I know. And, and you know, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, well, you told me that I could, you know, X, Y, and Z. I'm like, I said that to you last week. I don't remember that. Yeah. But, you know, and I have these, you know, these young, these young, uh, young firefighters that, you know, I've worked with um, and they come up and like, hey, do you remember we talked about A, B and C? And I'm like, no, I don't really remember that. Well, it's working out great for me. I really appreciate that. And I don't say I don't remember that out loud, but I'm like, you know, my mind, I'm like, no, I don't remember talking about that. It's stuff that I would say. I know it's my words. I know it's my, um, you know, what I would tell them in the situation. And, you know, I look back and I'm like, well, damn, that must, you know, that really had an impact. You know what I mean? And, and most of these guys and girls that I've worked with go on and they're very successful and they go, you know, they go a lot of places and I stay in contact with a lot of them. And, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's nice to hear, but it's very uh, moving. I think when you start having some of that feedback or people come back to you, reminding you of how your leadership or your mentorship and your example can impact them. And then you see that impact continuously continuing then evolving for them to pass it down to someone else. Yeah, right? knowledge, yes. not, knowledge has no power unless it's given to somebody else. Exactly. If so. you, for example, if you get all this knowledge about a certain skill set that God's blessed you with, 
mm-hmm. and you die without sharing that with other people, that knowledge dies with you. So I'm a big, I'm a big believer. And <clears throat> if he, if God has blessed you with a certain gift and talent, your job is to take that gift and talent and pass it on to the next generation because you can only carry that torch for so long. Why, why wouldn't you want to help somebody fast track that learning curve as quickly as possible? No, I, I agree. And, and I think, I think being an officer in the fire department um, is one of the, I guess, maybe relative to my life is one of the most difficult things that, to do to accomplish. Um, I accomplished it in my 20s, which was way, way, way too early. I can't believe I did it that early. I kind of wish I would have waited another 10 years, but however, there's no great time to, to, no good time to do a great thing. You might as well just jump in both feet and you're going to figure it out as you go. Um, And I felt, and I say that because, you know, I feel like that's where I've made changes, where I've been able to impact people, where I've been able to, um, you know, help the next generation of guys and girls coming up and, and, and be, you know, those things that I wish I had when I was young coming up in the fire department. And I, and I had some very, very, very good officers. And what I've tried to do is I push off the great things that I like, that I enjoy, that helped me a lot and helped me learn a lot and motivate me and make me go to the next level. And then I, you know, take out the parts that I didn't like. So when I interact with people that I work with, I give them everything I knew that I wanted as an officer. I try to personify that and give that to them because I didn't have that all the time. So I took all the good that I had, pushed that off and then made sure I didn't make some of the same mistakes as as some of the officers that, um, you know, that I worked for that were, you know, not so good. Yeah. We have the the ability to help make the next generation smarter, faster and better than we were. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's our job to, help them get there faster like it should not take you to your 40s to get to where you want to be even though that life's about a learning process and if we don't learn what we need to learn it could take longer it's each individual base but we should not put a cap or a ceiling on how fast somebody can can track in life right so like let's just say you become a director at 37 years old and you reach back and you teach the next generation of young men and women come in behind you and you find one person in your group that you can mentor or that listens to you and looks up to you, maybe you can help them become a director at 30 years old. Uh, Just because you got it at 37 doesn't mean they need to wait till they're 37. If they've learned the information that they've learned, they can get there faster. And that's when I say knowledge has no power unless it's given to somebody else. Our job is to reach back, figure out, figure out who we can help mentor. And it's kind of like, a, it's kind of like a, a, a high rise, right? You have an elevator. You put mm-hmm. all these people in the elevator and you're, let's just say you're at the top of the skyscraper. You send the elevator back down to pick other people up, right? That's what leadership is. But when you go send that elevator down and pick up pe- other people up, some of them people are going to get off on the second floor. Some of them get off on the fifth floor. Some will come up all the way up to the eighth floor and so on and so forth. Our job is to look down and see what floor are they on and meet them at the level that they're at. If they're at level two, you can't train that level two to become a director because they still need to go through level five and eight and so on and so forth. But as a leader, we cannot forget to send the elevator back down and pick other people up. And facilitate it. And, you know, it's just like, and again, I'll bring it back to being a parent. 
you know, I want to provide the opportunities for them to have what I did. Right. So, and by that, I mean, like, you know, this person that I worked for, they did these things I didn't like that didn't help me. Whereas there was this person over here that was, you know, helped me dramatically. This is why they helped me. These were the great things that they did. Well, I'm going to provide that for the guys and girls that I, that, uh, you know, that I work with. And, yeah. and I, and I think, you know, I'm sure you probably went through it where you had some drill instructors and in boot camp and some officers and uh, enlisted people that you worked you worked under that um, you know that you were really really good. Some that probably weren't so good and people that were kind of in the middle. And you just it just like any interaction, you know, as you know, as a human being, you take something from everyone that you interact with, and then you remove the things that you don't like or didn't work for you or that were not that good. And you know, when you it was exactly as you said before, you train the next generation coming up as these are the good things i'm going to trim the fat get rid of the bad things here you go they're on their journey as well you know and you're just all you do is and what you're doing there at that point is you're feeding into that into the uh fire of the new generation as you said so yeah. this is a good point where i want to transition to um what i think is where you're doing a tremendous amount of work um where it's helping people to transition back out of the military life into the civilian life with uh, your F-45 um, training. So let's talk about that, kind of uh, walk us through, you know, what it is, how it's helping. I think, you know, the, the, the work you're doing here is absolutely remarkable. So I, I want to talk about that. Yeah. So, look, I, I would like to paint the picture here. So I got out of the Marines after 12 years back in 2007 when I first got out. I got into real estate, but as you know, in 2007, the real estate market crashed across the United States. And so I went from a, I went from combat to real estate to, okay, I need to reinvent myself completely. So I ended up moving back to Louisiana where I'm from. And my, my uncle is a business Mongol in Louisiana. He has over 20 something companies, very successful. So he, uh, he partnered, he basically he said, hey, come back to Louisiana. I'll, I will find an opportunity. I know this guy is in the convenience store industry. He's been in there for 30 years. Uh, I'll, I'll partner you with this guy as a mentor and come over and take over the convenience stores. So he had, you know, six convenience stores that were just convenience stores. It's like a truck stop, right, where you have casino mm -hmm. on one side. You have gas station. You have, you know, um, a restaurant. You have diesels for truckers and, and regular fuel for regular cars. <clears throat> so I ended up moving back to Louisiana, where I'm from. Um, I started off with six six convenience stores, grew to ten in two uh, ten in two years. And my first full year in business, um, you know, when I first started there, my job was to just go out there in the field and work with every convenience store, figure out you know the good, the bad, the indifferent, and figure out a way to uh, and create a plan to change negatives to a positive, right? Um, and so my first full year in business, I, we generated $49.5 million in gross revenue um, and doing amazing things, right? Uh, like we had, we had four shell stations, one Texaco, five unbranded stores. I created my own 24-7 Express brand doing amazing things in the convenience store industry in the middle of 
in the middle of that success, my best friend who joined the Marine Corps followed me in the Marines, got in a car accident, got kicked out of the military because of medical. He got addicted to pain pills, which got him addicted to drugs, and he ended up committing suicide. Um, and I remember in the middle, yeah, look, thank you. Um, and in the middle of all that pain, in the middle of all my success, I could not help stop my friend from commit suicide. And I think it was an onset of something changing to me. Like I could stay here in Louisiana and make millions of dollars, or I can truly go and try to find a way to help servicemen and women. And what I realized when I was in the, what I realized now years after in the military, there was no human performance and optimization process to get my Marines ready for combat from a fitness perspective, fitness and mental perspective. And then when I came out of the military, there was no transitional readiness program. It was just you go to class for three or four days and you write a resume and like, good luck, have a good one. And mm -hmm. I realized that, you know, something, um, I want to go back to California and I want to I help men and women. I, I want to help those that are in the military transitioning out or help veterans. And so I came back to California, started a fitness company, started an entertainment company. And the idea behind my fitness company was, okay, helps transitioning service members, teach them how to run a fitness boot camp uh, training program so they can go back to their local community and help train their local community through the power of fitness because fitness is very therapeutic, you know, um, that when, when you get the endorphins released after your workout, it could really change your day. And mm -hmm. so I came back to California, started a fitness company and um, after about a year into it, I realized that I'm running out of money, <laughs> I'm running out of capital, and I need to get a job. So I ended up working at the Department of Veterans Affairs. But while mm -hmm. I was working at the Department of Veterans Affairs, I was also teaching my fitness boot camp classes in my community. And I wrote a book. I have my own at-home workouts. I did all these great things. But after eight years, God finally gave me peace to close close it close a good thing so he could take me to a great thing. So I closed my business on a Friday and I joined F45. I thought my journey in fitness was over, but lo and behold, it was just beginning. I joined F45 on a Monday and I was working out with them just to work out with a group. Sure. And I fell in love with F45 and I created an executive summary and I sent it to the F45 training team and said, Hey, Look, if you're if there's any interest to help servicemen and women, I've been working on this for eight years. You guys have the infrastructure, I have the know-how. And long story short, they hired me to be in the stand up the the military division for F forty five. So fast forward to today. We have a Department of Defense approved skill bridge program, and what that means is we're an approved company. So six months before servicemen and women get out of the military they can become interns at F45 training studios. And when I say become interns, that means that they leave their military command, they get orders to F45 and all throughout the United States and they get embedded at, at the studio level. And our studio teaches them how to, how to coach and lead and they get certified as personal trainers. And at the end of the internship, the job, our job during the internship is to prepare them to be considered for employment. And they go through this three to six month long internship. And at the end, they can get a job. So here we are. So we started that in 2020. 
I mean, here we are in 2023. We've trained over 500 service members to get convert their military experience into the fitness industry and to get a job here at F45. So we've done some good things, right? And then this year alone, in 2023, we have over 600 servicemen and women that are on active duty, that are in our pipeline. They're either just just, uh, applying or getting ready to graduate from our SkillBridge program. And you gotta think, okay, we did 500 in three years, and then we could potentially do over 600 in one year. And the difference between then and now is that was during the COVID season, right? 2020, mm-hmm. 21, mm-hmm. 22. So there, there was a lot of restrictions. So we're ramping up to help way more service members in one year by three years. So we're doing an amazing thing. We, we have a, a tremendous impact. We have the Veterans Impact Program. We help service members with employment, internship, apprenticeship, all the way up to ownership. Uh, regardless of what season of life their servicemen and women are, we can help them through the power of fitness. You know, something you just said, uh, season of life. Um, do you think – I'm trying to think of how to say this. So <clears throat> I think no matter where in your life you are, you always – no matter who you are, you're always going to, I feel like, have that human desire to look up to someone, someone to lead you, someone to mentor you. I feel like that's, I don't want to call it a void, but I feel like that's a, a necessity as a human being, um, regardless of where you are. And, I mean, that's 600 people's lives this year that you're going to affect, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe not you directly, but your business will be, you know, affecting 600 people's lives. And, you know, First and foremost, that is absolutely remarkable, and I commend you and your team and, um, you know, the guys and girls that made all of this possible. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic what you're doing for the military personnel um, for them to be able to transition. I think that's very important. Um, so you said they come into F-45 while they're still in the military, so they leave uh, their assignment in the military, and their new assignment is F-45 with uh, with you or – um, someone in that 45, but you said an internship, right? Yes. So they get placed at studios all throughout the United States. So no matter where they go, boot camp, um, in the fleet, and now into another transition into civilian life, somebody's leading them along the way. No yeah. matter where they are, there, there's always everyone. I don't want to say everyone has a boss, but there, you're someone is continuously looking for a leader no matter where you go and that's why leadership is so impactful why leadership can do very very good things and unfortunately leadership can do a lot of very bad things so with f45 um i don't know the exact numbers and i I wasn't able to pull it up but uh how many members just let's just not not with the military part, like just in general. Do you have any idea, uh, like how many members I think throughout the franchise you guys have? Is that a, is that a number that you have? Yeah, I I think I heard on a webinar recently we had over eight hundred thousand members around the world. So you got to understand, F forty five is a global fitness company. Sure, we have sold over thirty six hundred studios in seventy four countries around the world, right? And I think they have over 2,000 studios currently open around the world. And the power of fitness, imagine, like, we, we're 
All right, let me take one step back. We also have studios in both Iraq and Afghanistan. If you can penetrate those two markets mm-hmm. from a consumer standpoint, you are doing something really special. So F45 has something really, really special and unique that is happening. But what I have and what F45 has is around the world, there's armed forces. And those armed forces go through the same things that our servicemen and women are going through here. They serve their their country, they get out of the military, and they got to do some kind of job for the rest of their life. Sure. I have a passion to help armed forces around the globe to convert their military experience into the fitness industry. And F-45 really has the infrastructure to do that. Right now, the primary focus is in the United States. But eventually, that could evolve into countries that we, we're allies with, and, and we can help their armed forces. The power – so out of my 28-year professional career, when I say 28 from 18 to where I'm at now, I'm 46 years old. Fitness is the only thing that I've come across in my entire life that transcends race, religion, ethnicity, military reign, financial status. None of that crap matters. People come together for the common cause, which is fitness, and it tears down the walls that divide us every day. When I say the walls, I'm talking about, you know, Democrats, Republicans, others, Christian, Buddhist, uh, Islam, all these things divide us every day. But fitness is the only thing I've found in my entire journey that transcends all that bullshit. Sure. And that's why I love fitness so much. It helps tear down those walls. And, you know, next thing you know, you're having conversations and lunch and become friends with people you would never in your entire life even have a conversation with. That's the power of fitness. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing about fitness, and and this is kind of where I I don't want to overreach on this, but the whole reason why I asked, I asked kind of like a wide variety of things um, the, the point that I'm making, I'll bring this full circle is fitness obviously comes from the individual, but I think not every individual has the knowledge and know how to do absolutely everything. So you have all like over 800,000 people trained, you know, multiple countries, uh, 200,000 studios, if I remember correctly, but all that starts from and fitness in general can usually will start from some type of coach, mentor, or someone in leader, a leadership position. And the way I understand it, you know, I mean, yeah. I, you're going to have to learn a lot of that from somewhere, which is you, you, you know, I mean, I, I, I appreciate uh, the humble side of how you're bringing, how, you know, how you're talking about this and all. However, without somebody like you, people like me, we're not going to know any of this. We're not going to learn any of this. And yeah. it's absolutely remarkable what you're doing. I, I, you know, I'm in complete awe with how big this has gotten, how, how much, how fantastic of work you're doing, the fantastic work that you're doing, excuse me. Um, so you did talk about, I want to transition again. Um, you did talk about, you wrote a book and let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, so when I first, remember I told you I was in Louisiana and I knew I had to come back and help servicemen and women. Sure. I left Louisiana. And I think it was in June of 2009, and I came back to California. Uh, we ended up uh, moving in, in the San Diego uh, County area. And <clears throat> what I realized was that, okay, I my first week back in California, I just spent every day. I woke up, 
and I would work out. And after my workout, I would go spend the entire day at Starbucks because at the time I would just go and get away from my house and I would just write as much information as I possibly can about how to prepare for enlisted boot camp. Um, and the reason why I wrote that is because I felt like, man, when I joined the military, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like, man, okay, step one is I have all this knowledge now. Unless I pass this knowledge on, it can't help anybody else. So I, I wrote the book, Prepare, Black Friday, Prepare for Enlisted Boot Camp. It's available on Amazon. So the purpose of that book is anyone trying to join the military if you want to know what recruit training is going to be like, if you want to know the basic foundations of the information that you need to learn that can help fast track your learning curve to join the military and get it from a drill instructor's perspective. Um, I wrote that book to help them so that they don't have to struggle the way I struggled to get through recruit training. So in fact, I'm like, I'm going to grab it right now. Uh, sure. No, but go ahead. Good. Go I was gonna, so do you think, have you had any feedback from that book? Like if you had anyone reach out to you and say, Hey, you know, I was looking at joining and I saw your book and you know, have you had any, anyone uh, reach out to you about that or have any feedback? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, look, I, I've been at this since 2009 and, you know, between my book and between our, our documentary, uh, Black Friday, Dark Dawn, that, that follows my platoon at recruit training between those, the book and the documentary, uh, movies on my platoon, I've had probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people say, you know, I, I read your book or I watched a documentary and that inspired me to join the military. That helped me get through boot camp. That helped me become a drill instructor. Uh, so it happens all the time, like from officers to enlisted. It doesn't matter. Everything in between. I hear these testimonies of people that say, thank you. Thank you for sharing what you've gone through because it helped fast track the learning curve. Yeah. And again, I, I think, I think it's still a form of coaching, you, you know, maybe a written word or it may be verbal or, you know, in-person uh, coaching. Cause it, you know, if I remember correctly, you had a military style um, fitness uh, campaign where, you know, yeah, you weren't, um, you know, representing the Marine Corps, but you yourself personified your values and all mm -hmm. that and, and getting people to do, uh, if I remember correctly, rucks and workouts and, you know, kind of preparatory stuff or just people to make a change in their lives through fitness. And, yeah. you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's all, again, it's all about coaching and mentoring. And as you said before, get, you know, with the with the the high rise uh, metaphor of people from the ground floor all the way up, you just got to figure out what level they're at. And, you know, you as the leader, you're that uh, that elevator to get them where they need to be. Um, so, you talked about Dark Dawn. What is that? Can you explain to the listeners what Dark Dawn is? I know you said it's a documentary. It's a uh, film. Uh, let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So when I was a brand new senior drill instructor. Uh, I had a movie director uh, get embedded with my platoon to film a documentary about recruit training. And the reason why I didn't do anything special for them to get embedded with me, um, the reason why they got embedded with my platoon, I was a new senior drill instructor and I was on the bottom floor 
Uh, so like in the recruit barracks, there's three levels, at least here in San Diego. And we were on the bottom floor and I was the new senior drone instructor. And, you know, as a drone instructor, you don't want any cameras around following you because, you know, at any moment they capture something you're doing wrong or against the standard operating procedures, you can get in trouble. So it wasn't like something like, oh, yeah, I got a documentary about my platoon. No, it, it was <laughs> it was it was voluntold, right? You, yeah. you get told you get pulled into the office and say, hey, there's a documentary team that's going to be embedded with your platoon. Don't fuck it up. Right. Sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. just to be blunt, don't fuck it up. Um, yeah. And so they get embedded with my platoon and film the documentary that's uh, that, you know, three months of following you and embedding themselves with you. And after uh, being out of the military for quite a few years, I remember I told you when I moved back to California, I started an entertainment company. Mm -hmm. um, my entertainment company now owns all the footage that was filmed on my platoon when I, when I was a drone instructor. So we ended up uh, releasing five doc document, you know, it's about two hours long each, each uh, week. So we, it's black Friday, dark dawn, and it takes you through recruit training from, from day one, all the way to graduation. And the reason why we released that footage is because if we don't share it with other people, you know, knowledge has no power unless it's given to somebody else. We felt that it was our due diligence to release that to the world, you know, and some, some people get upset because, uh, oh, you're giving inside secrets, but that's, it's not really true. I mean, you know, there's history channel documentaries. We just released our own documentary about recruit training, which to me has helped empower the next generation to be successful. So do you think having those cameras around affected you? Um, not that you wouldn't uh, do the right thing, but do you feel like it's just like when you were um, new, the accountability is there from your drill instructor. Now you have accountability that's not quite as in your face, um, I guess, intently, as intensely as a drill instructor. Again, I don't know that, but do you think that having a camera there um, affected any way you did things instead of, yeah, you know, 100 like, percent. You, you understand what I'm saying? What I'm asking? Yeah, yeah, like hundred percent. Like it affected. So normally, all right. So when you have a camera there, and then you have you know officers and senior enlisted behind the camera, mm -hmm. maybe some of the games you used to play uh, with the recruits with no cameras you can't do anymore, or the level of you know intensity that you give to the recruits for messing up is a little bit less. And what I realized was. It took us a little bit longer to get the platoon locked in. So, for example, normally in my my platoons, within the first two weeks, I'd have them locked in and ready to like, like, like I would break them down within two weeks, and then now I'm ready to build them up. Well, that platoon took us, you know, four weeks, vice two weeks, or you know, a little bit longer than that, and it, the camera just puts an extra layer and it's a good thing like don't get me wrong sure camera is a good thing just like cameras on you know officers now out you know police officers it is mm -hmm. a good thing because at any moment we can slip and make mistakes and that's just an, an extra layer of thoughtfulness that we have to take into account account when we're out there leading people and you know that helped but at the same time, it hurt, if that makes sense.
It does. And I think it gives you a conscious knowledge that you're being watched, right? You know you're being watched by the camera and the people behind the camera. But, and the reason why I bring it up, and I guess kind of where I'm going with it is, you know, think of that watchful eye where everyone's there, it's all recorded, they know it. Well, it's the same thing as a leader without cameras by the people that you're leading. They see everything. They forget nothing. They'll remember a lot. They may not tell you they remember it. You may not talk to those people again or, you know, wherever you go in life. But just like a camera catches everything and doesn't forget anything and tells no lies, mm. I think people that you lead will always remember absolutely everything you say and do as a leader, yeah. whether they'll talk to you about it or not. And hopefully as a leader – and this is not so much as in the, you know in a boot camp setting. I'm just saying in general – Regardless of where you're at when it comes to leadership, uh, you know, civilian, uh, Fortune 500 company, military, police, whatever, you may or may not have somebody that will talk to you about things because people could say it could allow you to walk down a path as a leader where you're just doing absolutely everything wrong. Or you could have the respect from hard work, dedication, doing the right things where they could go, come to you and say, you know, hey, Sarge, LT, Captain, Chief, whatever, uh, you know, CEO. You know, hey, look, you're doing X, Y, and Z. This isn't working for us. We can't do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's it's just like the point that I'm making is the cameras make it very obvious, right? But no matter um, no matter what the situation is, someone's always going to see it obviously, and people don't forget anything. They're just like kids, just like my kid. My kid doesn't forget anything he sees. He doesn't forget anything I say. And the people mm. you lead are the same way. And that's why you always have to be um, cognizant of that. And I, and I know you, Mike, are. I'm just saying in general, in general, in leadership. Um, yeah. So it's you know it's a lot, uh, and I think it can be overwhelming and everything. But I you know I think um, it all goes for the 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 big picture. And just as in um, with with the Marines, you didn't just stay at boot camp. You went off and and you deployed and. You went, into, you went to Iraq, and uh, you had a lot of um, experience, it looks like, uh, with leading Marines and in that lethal environment, which dramatically affects a lot of things, how people act and all that. And you have to be a leader. You have to create um, – or you have to get a group of people to accomplish a goal, mission, task, whatever it is. And you went to Iraq in uh, 2006 in mm -hmm. al-Assad. Uh, and completed 27 combat missions, 13 as a platoon sergeant, 14 as a platoon commander after your lieutenant was severely injured in an ID attack. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, as I said before, I've never been in the military. I don't know, I don't know what these um, environments are like. But um, can you think of at any time where your leadership was challenged? If you could provide an example or, you know, a situation and, and kind of talk about it and how you worked through it and, you know, where you ended up. And I mean, I think this is, you know, a good topic for our listeners as well. Yeah. Um, I think Iraq was probably one of the most frustrating things in my, um, my Marine Corps career because you spend, so I, I only been to combat one time and that was 2006, 2007. I spent my entire 12 years in the Marine Corps preparing to go, to Iraq. And when I, when I get to Iraq, I'm running convoys from point A to point B. And what that means is basically we're moving bullets and band-aids and, 
know, tanks and troops from point A to point B to get them the supplies that they need, get the resources that they need on the front lines as infantrymen. And every time we go out on convoys, we would get hit by IEDs and those that do not know what IED is, improvised explosive devices. And what that is, is basically the insurgents would uh, bury bombs underneath the ground. And when our vehicles roll over it, they would explode. But when they explode, and, you know, as a Marine, you expect to return fire, suppress fire by fire, you know, you expect to fight back. And we would get hit by IEDs, but there's no one there to fight. There's no one there to release your frustration and your anger um, when people get hurt. And, you know, that was probably the most frustrating part of being in Iraq for me during my, my season there of my 27 plus combat missions mm-hmm. is people would get hit by AEDs. And then, you know, based upon the internet, people are in the mountains hidden behind a rock videotaping the explosion. Sure. And there's no one, there's no one that you could see. There's no one you can find to shoot at, to release your frustration. And I think that that was probably the hardest part for me of being in combat. Um, when, when your Marines want to fight back, but there's no one there to fight. How do you keep people motivated during that time? Cause that has to be, I mean, you know, if you think about it, you, I would assume at that point, you're probably one of the more senior, um, ranked people. I mean, you probably have, I mean, you probably have a platoon or two and all that. And you have guys that are guys and girls that are younger than you. And, you know, if you're feeling that frustration, you know, they are too. How, how do you work yeah. through that for those guys? And girls? So, so let me tell you about one convoy specifically. Um, sure. um, I was training another Marine to be the platoon sergeant and I was scheduled to ride up front with my Lieutenant because I was going to, you know, run the convoy. But something happened, I don't remember exactly, but something happened to the point where uh, they were like, look, I know you're supposed to ride up front in the convoy, but we need you in the back because for X, Y, and Z time. And we're on this convoy and uh, a five ton caught a flat tire. And so we push up to the front and we work through fixing the tire. And then my Lieutenant gets in the vehicle and crosses this engineering bridge first, which should never happen, right? Normally the five ton would hit the bridge first and then some, you know, Humvees would hit it next and a combination of all that. Well, for some reason, he made a decision to drive over that bridge first. And that bridge was, was, uh, um, was basically placed, they had, they had placed, um, two 155 rounds and 35 pounds of TNT underneath the engineer, underneath the engineering bridge. And Mm -hmm. it was kind of like a pressure plate. So whenever he hit the pressure plate, it blew his vehicle like 20 feet in the air, flipped it upside down, um, basically blew off the entire front of the vehicle. And Mm -hmm. let's just say everyone in that vehicle was severely injured. Um, Sure. And so my lieutenant ended up having to get, you know, medically airlifted out and many, many surgeries. And because of that scenario, I ended up becoming the convoy commander. That means that 
I was the second in command. And from that point forward, um, every mission after that, I took over the platoon. And looking back at my journey there in Iraq, um, I would never wish pain upon anybody to become a convoy commander because that's the last thing you want. But when I became a convoy commander, I knew that that was exactly what God wanted me to do with that season of my life to lead these troops. And in the middle of my Marines really, you know, getting depressed and frustrated with our Lieutenant getting blown up, they were ready to shoot anything that moved or looked like an insurgent. And I had to keep them motivated and inspired to do the right thing for the right reasons. We cannot take our frustrations out on people just to take it out on people. We have to make sure that we follow our rules of engagement. We go through our vetting process. We go through this checklist in our mind to make sure that we do not send around downrange and kill an innocent person. And I think that that was probably the hardest part of keeping everybody motivated in a time of darkness. Do you think that your leadership by example, by you stepping up, taking your lieutenant's place, do you think um, the junior, the junior people in your, in your platoon, do you think they saw that and kind of said to themselves something to the effect of, well, if he can step out of his comfort zone and show this control and, and professionalism, I can do it too. Do you think any of that had an effect on those guys? Cause I would assume everyone from the lowest ranked person to whoever's, you know, as close to rank as you are probably understand how, difficult of an undertaking that is there's no way that's an easy thing to do right yeah yeah i would so, think so I, I mean i would i would think so i would hope so um let's just say uh we ended up not in, not having to hurt anybody um mm -hmm. while i was there uh, there was another scenario where you know uh look first and foremost to answer your question i think that Yes, uh, leadership by example, not by the words that came out of my mouth, but by my actions, helped my Marines uh, work through that season uh, that we were in. Mm -hmm. But another scenario, and let me give you an example, is when our rules of engagement is when civilian vehicles come close to our convoy, uh, we pop a flare, basically give them, giving them a, a warning. This was our rules of engagement at the time. Pop mm -hmm. a flare, basically don't come any closer. And if they keep coming closer, you basically do a warning shot into their hood, right? Into their vehicle hood. Mm -hmm. um, and if they keep coming, then you you have complete reins to um, to shoot shoot whoever's in the car because you know um, SPV IEDs. Um, and somehow or some way, this vehicle ended up. I'm the convoy commander. This this civilian vehicle ended up getting inside of our convoy. So I stopped the convoy. I went back with my translator and I am translating with my translator, asking them, I can tell it was a husband, it was a wife and two kids in the back. And I was asking them nicely in the beginning that you need to take your vehicle and get out of our convoy um, and the, the guy was like, he was irate. And I get it. Look, we're in your country. You're trying to get to point A to point B. But our rules of engagement, they shouldn't even be living right now. But they're inside of our convoy. We're stopped. We have them isolated. And we're surrounded. We surround them. And finally, this guy is freaking out. And his wife's starting to cry. And finally, I had to pull out, pull out my nine mil and point it at him 
and tell the translator, if he does not get out of our convoy, we're going to have to shoot. And his wife is freaking out, you know, the translator's yelling and screaming, the kids are crying. And I just, you have to make an assessment. Is this a credible threat or not? And all my Marines are watching me in the middle of this. And I mm -hmm. felt that based upon my assessment that this was not a credible threat to kill him. Mm -hmm. And eventually I was able to talk the guy down. He backed up his, his vehicle and got out of our convoy. And that's just one example. Like, that's one example of, according to the rules of engagement, I, we could have killed their entire family. But on the other hand is if I pull that trigger and kill an innocent person, um, I have to live with this for the rest of my life. And fast forward, here we are many, many years later from my journey in Iraq. I know for I know for a fact I did the right thing for the right reasons I made the right decision, and God willing, their families flourishing there in Iraq. So when you have situations like that, where does it go after you handle it? I mean, I, I'm assuming you have uh, someone to answer to. You have your own leadership, right? Um, yeah. What do they say about yeah. any of that stuff? Were they just kind of like, well, all right, cool, car carry on? Or did they, like, no, what? no, they, of course, you know, senior leadership was like, why are they even in your platoon? You, you didn't follow the rules of engagement. They should have, did you guys fire a shot? You know, like, so, mm -hmm. you know, like our platoon got in trouble for allowing a civilian vehicle in that, in our convoy. Um, but I, you, you just absorb it as a leader to make sure, hey, I got my ass chewed because this should not have happened in the first place. But I absorbed, I absorbed it as a leader and say, hey, we saved the family. And now at the same time, if that vehicle got inside of our convoy and it got you know detonated and killed a bunch of Marines, it would be a completely different story. Sure. Um, um, but I believe that we made the right decision and that family's still living because, because we did that morality has to be a big part of things i mean obviously discretion is everything and 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 you know you have to lead by example but at the end of the day you still have to be a human being you have to have integrity you have to be of good i think moral values and good judgment to do leadership and you know it, i've had this conversation with a lot of people when it comes to a lot of um leadership stuff and one thing that i continuously think about after discussions are and the people that I talk to may or may not say it but I do always think about it of you know what are they like as people like as human beings and all of them are good people that just want to do the right thing they want to go home at the end of the day and they ultimately want what's best for those that they lead and you know I think that's kind of important because I think there's people out there that are leaders military you know whatever situation it is they only care about themselves, unfortunately. And what I've learned in time is there's far few, there's much fewer good leaders than there are um, bad leaders. I, I just, unfortunately, I, there's two sides of the coin. And sadly, I, what I've learned over time is there's, there's a lot of bad leaders out there. Um, yeah. But I think, Mike, you, you definitely personify someone that has, um, you know, the highest of uh, the moral moral values and, and I think ultimately at the end of the day 
I think it's going to get you where you need. If you follow your moral compass and you really believe in your soul that you did the right thing, I think you did. And I think if you, when you make these decisions, I mean, obviously in a lethal environment, seconds count. You have to, you know, make this split second decisions that can affect everyone's lives. And I understand that. But what I've learned or what I think is, you know, there's a lot more situations where it comes down to your moral compass. You got to do the right yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, there's a time and place for everything, but the most difficult decisions and situations I've been in that I've experienced were not situations that were life and death. It was a moral situation, good, bad, whatever it was. I'm not going to get into the details, but there's been some, the most difficult decisions I've made or I've had the de most difficult situations I've dealt with weren't ones on a fire or a, uh, you know, immediate danger to my life safety. It was in a firehouse with people that I work with, not the people I work with now. This is a generalized statement in the firehouse guys and girls. Yeah, that I I, mean. You know what I mean? I would like, yeah, I would like to say, you know, uh, Jump in. there's moments where I did not, um, do the right thing for the right reasons throughout my journey. Um, we all have blind spots, but the quicker we learn from our blind spots, the quicker we can get back on the right path and head in the right direction. Meaning that we are all headed in the, we, you know, when we first start things, we want to go in the right direction. And, you know, there's always a uh, diversion, so to speak, where you di dive off the main path and sure. dibble dabble in the wrong things for the wrong reasons. I would like to, you know, from a disclosure standpoint, to just say, like, there's been moments where I failed and I did not lead by example and I wasn't the best Marine. Um, but when I failed to do the right thing for the right reasons, I quickly learned from my mistakes and I got back on the right path. So I want, you know, you or anyone listening to say, look, I, I've not, not been perfect. Don't claim to be perfect, yeah. but I do have a moral compass that even when I get off the wrong path, uh, for by the grace of God, God brings me back to the right path. And sure. I ask for forgiveness for the wrongdoings and keep moving forward. So, um, yeah. we all have those blind spots. And, you know, a lot of it's our lessons, too, because, you know, people fail for various different reasons, right? I think you can have great intentions and have terrible outcomes. I know I have. And look, it's not about if, and you know this, Mike, it, you, it, it's not about if you fail or not. You know, you, you lose your way, you lose direction, you fall off course, it's okay. Come back. Come back to center. Whatever it is you need to get back to center through the religion, through whatever it is, you come back to center. You keep moving forward, but you keep showing up. That's the biggest thing. Don't ever let the failure define you. Let your return define you and your actions moving forward. Fail, I think fail, that fail, failure is inevitable. Progress is optional. Exactly. That's a fan. I really like that quote. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's really, really look, good. I mean, it's the truth. Like, we're going yeah. to fail, but... If you take that failure, it can become progress. Failure is inevitable. Progress is optional. You have to choose to forgive yourself, pray for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, and keep moving forward, period. Sure, sure. And yeah, I forget where I heard this. I think I might have uh, – it might have been like one of those motivational uh, like clips or something from somewhere. I forget where it is. But basically the long story short is you know, the guy created a light bulb. Failed a thousand times, right? Did a thousand inventions, nothing worked. A thousand and one mm -hmm. was a light bulb. Yep. You, you know, I mean, again, that was a social media clip somewhere. So 
for what it's worth. I mean, obviously. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing with WD forty. The reason why it's called WD forty because on the fortieth time you got it right. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. There you go. And you know, I I think I think failing keeps you honest. And you know, there's a lot. Anything I've ever tried, I've ever set out to do, anything I've ever worked on, I've failed at miserably. Sometimes I've failed at. You know, it doesn't matter. Like I. I hate to say it like this, but I feel like I've failed my way to success. And I feel like, you know, I've done a lot of very good things in my life and in my career, but that wasn't without struggling or going through the difficult times or, you know, I, what did, I think they call it uh, paying your dues. But ultimately at the end of the day, if you work hard and you persevere and you just keep going and keep working hard at it, you're going to work. It's going to work out. You're going to be successful. Yeah. You know, fail, fail so, for it. Fail forward. So, Mike, we're right around that one hour time. I think uh, I think this is a really great place to stop. Um, you know, I can't thank you enough for everything that you've done um, in the military, in the Marines, excuse me, um, what you've done for the transitioning guys and girls out of the military and civilian life and getting people ready for the military, the effects that you've had on their lives. You clearly are a uh, – you're a renaissance man when it comes to uh, getting people into the, the Marines and out of the Marines. Um, so yeah. I thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And uh, hopefully uh, this, this uh, podcast finds the right people that need some encouragement to join the military or transition out of the military or become drill instructors or become recruits, whatever season of people, you know, season of lives. I, I just pray that, this finds their way to uh, help share a little hope for them. Fantastic. Um, before we go, is there any final thought, closing thoughts or anything you wanted to uh, say before we get going? Yeah. Uh, one final thing is if you want to move, if you want to go fast in life, go by yourself. If you want to go far, bring other people with you. Awesome. That's a, it's a very good quote. Um, you know, something else real quick to touch on that as well. What I was always told when I was, what I was taught and told growing up was uh, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. So mm -hmm. you have to surround yourself with good people. Um, and I, I really like that quote that you, that you just mentioned. That's one of my favorite ones. Um, yeah. So do you have social media or a website or anything like that, that yeah. we can, uh, we can copy, uh, add to the page and then, you know, where could people reach out to you? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So I have uh, TikTok, TikTok at, at Stessar Nichols. It's uh, SSGT Nichols, N I C H O L S. It's that for TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and uh, you can find me on any of those channels uh, at Stessar Nichols. All right. And is there a good place to reach out to you? I guess your social medias would be a good place for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So social media is a great place. Uh, uh, Normally, I think out of all the social medias, I probably check my inbox on Instagram the most. Uh, so feel free to contact me, uh, send me an inbox, and I'd, I'd love to reply and dialogue with you. Excellent. We're going to add links to everything we talked about today into the description of this episode uh, for Mike's books, the videos, um, his websites, his social medias. We're going to copy all that. That's going to be in this episode description. Mike, hang out for a few seconds. We're going to close out the show. Don't go anywhere. Okay. Everyone, please follow Mike Nichols on the links provided. Thanks for listening to the Tip of Spear Leadership Podcast. 
Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast network. Hit that subscribe button and download button and give us a review. We're going to read them all. Please leave a five stars. It's our favorite. It helps us grow the show and our community. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for more episodes. Thanks, guys. Thank you for your time, Mike. I greatly appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Tip of the spear leadership. Be present. Be yourself. Be unstoppable. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.